As we've been going on this journey of socks and underwear and really delineating the difference between what we want God to give us and what we need, We've been doing different videos throughout out this series, and I was looking at lots of different Christmas videos, and I came across this Christmas video. You don't think about it as a Christmas video, but all this happened during Christmas two years ago. It's hard to imagine. And to think about the pain of losing a child, but losing a child under such circumstances is that where evil had infected somebody's soul to the degree that they could go into a school and, and, and kill six children, six six-year-olds, five and six-year-olds. And I thought, you know, we could, we could talk about something surfacy or, or maybe even a little bit under the surface. But when you really just dig into it, where do we come? Where is our faith? How do we figure out what we want and what we need? When we live in a world that Sandy Hook can happen, how do we live in a world and, how, and what is our theology? How do we see God? How do we understand God? How do we make the difference, know the difference between our wants and our, our needs? When something is horrific, is painful, is what happened to this family happens. What would Emily's mom want? Well, it's obvious, right? She wants Emily. She wanted Emily to open up her present, to go into the crawl space that they had worked with their other two siblings to enjoy Christmas together. It's what they wanted. But they, we live in this, in this world that, that sin has stung and tainted everything. That evil has gone so far that even... A beautiful little six-year-old, as innocent as can be, can be snuffed out. And we, as as Christians, we live in this 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 tension, this this difficulty. As she mentioned in the video, people said, "Where was your God? Why didn't He stop this?" And here we have the tension. This is really where our faith is real. 
I have some friends who who are going back and forth from Shands and and their little baby, their 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 one year old, you know, has cancer. They want their child to be healed, but what are they getting? What is is God giving them what they need? And I was thinking about this, and there are so many different directions that we could go with this. And the reality is that we saw in different different places that that she was getting things that that she needed to go one more second, one go minute, one more hour, one more day. She had community come around her. She was shown love. She was given support. We even saw through the progression of the video that that. Her wounds started to heal and scars they left, of course. She even talked about about the the purpose, or at least alluded to it, how she, out of this pain, started an organization for the safety of children and, and went on mission trips and and was serving to to spread the love and the innocence that that Emily had. And we could talk about those things and we've talked about those things a lot here. But I really felt that God was calling us to drill even deeper today. Place that none of us want to go. But I feel for us to touch into the source of our of really giving honor to this series between want and need that we need to go there. And I think what Emily's mother really held on to, what God really gave her and really gives us, is this promise of ultimate victory over the vile evil that we see in this world. I mean, that's really when you, when you pull it all away, all the love, all the support, even the, 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 the scars that are proof of our healing, that it really comes down to this promise of victory. And I want to I go there today because I think it's so important for us to understand where our hope comes from, to understand how, how we go forward in the, in the face of such evil. And it all starts with a secret. We all love secrets, right? Secrets are kind of cool because secrets, when somebody tells you the secret, a secret, what are they doing? They're confiding in you. They're like, they're, they're really what they're saying is, I trust you. You are on the inside. This is not for everybody. This is for you. And Paul does this in 1 Corinthians, starting in verse, or excuse me, chapter 15 and verse 51. And he says this, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, 
but we will all be transformed. I highlighted those two alls. We will not all die, which means some of us will, that that's the consequence of sin. The wages of sin is death, that, 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 that death has entered into the world and not all of us die of, of old age, right? Some of us, unfortunately, die in war, die in car accidents, die at the hands of unchecked evil. We will not all die, some of us will, but we will all be transformed. Remember, he's talking to the in crowd here. This is a secret. This is a secret for those who have become followers of Christ, that, that we will all be transformed. And then he goes into uh, just kind of how it'll all happen in a beautifully poetic way. He says, it'll all happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and those who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that never die, this scripture will be fulfilled, and I will get there in a second. But here, I want to I make sure that we are all on the same page. What Paul is talking about is not some fairy tale land. He is not talking about, you know, Kirk Cameron's left behind. He is not talking about, you know, Santa Claus or anything like this. And I, and I know that, unfortunately, sometimes it gets presented that way. It's kind of like this wish thinking like in a twinkle of an eye, you know, and in a blink of an eye or, and, and the trumpets will sound. I was even even a, at a church once where the pastor was giving this talk. And soon as he uh, read the part where the trumpets will be, be sounded, trumpets from the, from the balcony sounded. And we're like, oh, Trump, like how? Can you believe he just said that? Now the trumpets are blowing. And, and then this is what he said. He said, did those trumpets give you anxiety or joy? <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's a clever twist on if you were going home today and got hit by a bus, would you go to heaven or hell, right? Right? I mean, it's, it, it's this, this, this kind of this uh, destination type thing. But this is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about something even larger than that. He's talking about ultimate victory. This is why he quotes the Scripture. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I don't know Emily's mother. 
But if I was Emily's pastor, if I was Emily or uh, uh, Emily's mom's friend or pastor or part of her church, I would hope, and I'm sure somebody has, has painted this picture, have, have, have planted this song in her heart, this promise of victory for her, that even though her family is, had been touched by this evil by, or, or, or rampaged, really, by, by this evil, that, you know what, she has a promise of victory that, that someday that our Heavenly Father is going to call us back, that we will all be transformed, including Emily, including Emily's mom. And she will see and be reunited with this beautiful little girl. And I can just imagine, imagine with me, Emily's mom singing, death is swallowed up in victory. And then with might and conviction saying, oh, death, where is your victory? Because my daughter is here. Oh, death, where is your sting? This is the promise of victory of beauty. In verse 50, Six, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sting or gives sin its power. I was I, I was thinking about this sting, and if I say sting, what do you say? B. You think B? Normal people think B. Sting. Bee sting. You think that. Have you ever seen somebody who's allergic to bee stings? It's horrible. Like you Google this. In fact, I Googled this and like the images. You ever thought you never want to be the Google image of anything? right? You type in bee sting and it's like your picture comes up, you know, and stuff like that, you know, don't be the Google picture, you know, like uh, I Googled ringworm the other day and like all these people with ringworm on their face and everything, I'm like, do Google picture. Like you don't want to be the Google picture, but that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Uh, be like, you think about this, think about the, let me read the verse again because I was like all over the place. I blame you. <laughs> For sin is the sting that results in death. You think about a little bee sting. Think about the little stinger. It's tiny. It's this little, little thing. The little bee comes. It's like a suicide mission, right? Like bonsai, like it, they're done really not good for anybody, but they do it. And they put that little tiny sting in it, and, and, and that sting can blow up and actually lead to death. And the, and the imagery here Paul's writing about is this little, this little sting leads to death, leads to this bloating, leads to this corruption, leads to this destruction of the body. 
and the law gives sin its power. Make that connection, right? The law. What is the law? The law is the wages of sin is death. Sin is a sting in death. And you have this, this picture being put together that, that from this little tiny thing that everything comes unraveled. Then Paul continues, says, but thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus. And then I want to have you keep all of this in mind, all right? What have we been talking about? We've been talking about, about victory over evil. We've been talking, uh, talking about how Jesus is going to bring wholeness and transformation and bring everything back into its ideal state. Then he goes on, he says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Now, that doesn't mean be a mule. Remember in the context of what he's talking about. Being strong and immovable in, in your understanding that transformation, that love will conquer. And then he goes into this. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you, listen to this. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. What if we believe that? What if every single person in this room absolutely believed to their core that nothing you ever did in the name of Jesus Christ would be useless? Edmund Burke said it this way, No greater mistake has been made than he who did nothing because he only could do a little. I'm going to change it a little bit. Perhaps no greater sin has been made than they who did nothing because they only could do a little. Let's roll this back a little bit. We think about the course of apathy. It is also Burke who, who said that evil prevails when good people do nothing, right? We've all heard that one. When we who know better, those of us who have been called to a greater purpose, those of us who say we believe Jesus, we believe in the Bible, when we are told that nothing we ever do, no matter how small, will ever be useless for the kingdom of God. And if we wholeheartedly believe that and said, you know what, I am never going to let the lie get into my head and, and then to go and be my, to cause me to have inaction. To say, you know what, I will do, and even though I can't see the end game, I will do if the Holy Spirit places it on my heart. 
to be the full expression of God's love, even if it is minute. How things would change. I roll this back and I wonder about the evil that infected the young man who killed Emily. I wonder if there were anybody in that young man's life who could have spoke words of life into him. Who was prompted by the Holy Spirit to say something, to guide them, to pay for a psychological evaluation, to take him out to coffee and to speak and and to and anything. I don't know, but this is what I do know: that evil runs unchecked when we do. But the reality is that, that we are faced with great opposition. And believe me, I understand why a lot of times we just don't want to get involved. I mean, we have a saying about that, right? In, in, in our culture, it's no good deed will go unpunished. It's absolutely true. All of us have tried to do something. We've tried to step out, and we've been smacked down before because of it. And as we grow older, we learn, you know what? I'm just not going to get involved. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to. And this is why we see on the news, you know, somebody being, you know, robbed and people just walk by because they just don't want to be involved. That's why that, you know, when, when, you know, bad things are happening, that our culture can just, you know, turn a blind eye because they don't want to be involved because, because of the opposition that is waged against them. Those of us who, who are, are Christians right now, that, that we are in a cultural backlash against our faith because this is complete opinion, that Christianity and, and, and really any kind of predominant worldview gets heavy-handed, and those who are oppressed start to fight back, and they fight back hard, and it just goes back and forth, back and forth. And right now, those of us who have faith, we're kind of, we're on our heels in, in the cultural conversation that, that there's really, that we've become in a, in a very difficult position. And it'll probably swing back the other way. And the question is, are we going to learn from our mistakes or are we going to learn how to speak in respect and in conversationally in a way that does not compromise our faith, but also invites people to engage in a conversation? But the reality is that we have great opposition. In fact, I watched this video that we watched this morning, again this morning, I just wanted to watch it one more time. And while I was watching it, since I had watched it uh, a few times, uh, I was watching it on YouTube, 
And I don't know if you know much about YouTube or you watch videos on there, but you can like or dislike, right? Thumbs up or thumbs down a video. And this video has been watched like, uh, uh, like three quarters of a, a million times. And they have like thousands and thousands of likes for this, this video. But there was like 200 and something dislikes. Now that's weird. Like, who watches that video and clicks thumbs down? Yeah, I was like, I, uh, so I scrolled down a little bit to, to see the comments. And, and, I, and I read the first comment. And I just want to prepare you. This, we rate our, our gatherings PG-13, so if you're, you know, this is. Somebody, a human being, a fellow human being. I am being generous, says. Wrote about this video. I actually felt sorry for this woman until she mentioned God. What a effing idiot. Okay, I don't say that to shock you or to... I, but I think we need to wake up and understand that there is true opposition to our values and our beliefs and our Lord. That there are people that will actually, actually write to a woman whose child was shot and killed. That they actually felt sorry for her until they found out that she had faith in God. And now she is an idiot. Let that sink in, because that is reality. This is the opposition. And this is why Paul writes in Romans to persevere in the face of opposition. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 31, he writes, If God is for us, who can ever be against us? since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us from whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. And then he goes in and he talks about, you know what? As we face opposition, as we learn, and we must learn, church, we must learn to engage this culture in productive, healthy conversation. We must. We also must remember 
that we are promised ultimate victory. We are also promised that we will never be separated from God's love. And he goes into this this, uh, list. I was going to say a rant, but not not really. uh, That's what I do. Can anyone ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble, calamity, or are persecuted, or are hungry, or are destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I have had people throughout, you know, the past 10 years of being a pastor. They go, Pastor, or they, or they mark when we're facing opposition or calamity or being persecuted or, or whatever. They're like, you know what? If we're doing God's will, why is there so much opposition? Why isn't it easy? Well, it's because we have an enemy. That, that there is evil in this world. Don't believe me? Go on the internet. There is evil in this world. And we need to understand it is there. But we are not people of arms or guns or, or hate, but we are people of love that, that it is through us that God has chosen to be the full expression of love. And it is us who have to believe that nothing we do is ever useless. What was the first thing that, that, that they showed and obviously was a profound moment in her life that, that uh, when her daughter was killed and she was in the healing process. What was it in the video? Do you remember what happened? It was, but it was specifically one guy. The oil guy. Obviously, when they were interviewing her about this, that was kind of the beginning point of her healing. And could you imagine the oil guy, oil guy sitting here and like he's probably a prayer time or something and, and he gets this, go fill up this lady who you don't know, her, her oil tank. I don't even know what an oil tank is, but apparently it's something wherever she lives. I mean, think about it, like that stupid God. I don't even know. Like, well, these are the things. I don't even know if she needs oil. She probably has an oil guy she likes. <laughs> the oil guy is my competitor, and he's going to be mad at me. She's going to shoot me. Well, they're not in the South, so he's probably safe there, right? <laughs> Come on. But think about all the things. If you were that oil guy, there is a thousand reasons why he shouldn't do squat, shouldn't get involved. But there was one 
quiet voice. It said, you know what? Nothing you do is ever useless if you do it in my name. And that, at least in the video, began this, or at least was so significant that it was in the video, but it's part of her healing process. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And then he goes into this, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No powers in the sky above or earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is where good church people say, Amen. Amen.